How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Waterfowl 365. I am your host, Chris Adams. However you're listening to this thing, whether it be the Podbean, iTunes app, whatever it is, make sure you hit that subscribe, follow, whatever the button that is. That uh, Make sure that you get these new updates every single week. And if you would, throw a review on there. I would surely appreciate it. One, one star, two star, five star. Doesn't matter to me. Just put a review on there. I appreciate it. Um, if you want to get yourself a nice paperweight or a duck call, look up Unstable Calls on Instagram or any of the other great call makers you can find in any, any of these episodes. Um, most of them give their information at the end of each episode. Yeah. Anyway. Um... Man, it's been another busy week. Been turning out a lot of calls, doing some podcasts. Man, it's just been a lot of fun. Been busy, busy. We're in the dog days of summer for sure, and it's uh, it's only gonna get a bit busier. Been working on that Fourth of July call, so pretty excited to show it to you guys. Anyways, with any without any further ado, let's jump into another return guest. One of a. Uh, a few call makers I've had on here a couple of times, and uh, he's been a good friend for a lot of years. So, without any further ado, Mr. Michael Meredith. <laughs> Mike, what's going on, buddy? What's up, buddy? Oh, not too much. I think we said we were going to hit record like for the last 45 minutes, and we've just been BSing. We, we missed some really good stuff in that last little bit. I know. I, I stopped you like 30 minutes ago. I was like, hold on, we need to record this. This is good stuff right here, and just kept going. So, so what episode number are you on? This is number 90, man. Number 90. Number 90. So think back however many years ago when we first started talking about all this mess. How long it's been, how far it's come, and all the stuff we've we've done through, gone through with all this thing, you know what? Dude, we've had some crazy, from live streaming to freaking articles to podcasts to the little weekly show that we were recording. Yeah, I mean, I can remember driving around the neighborhood at one point trying to find service enough so we could do the little, uh, the live, the DTV Now back in the day. Remember? We were talking about the worlds and all kinds of things. I think when we first started doing it, it was... July of 2017. It might be four years now. Or is that Good five years? Place. 17 to 18, 18 to 19, well, 19 to 20. Four years? Four years. We'll call it four years. Dude, that's crazy. And the, the, the different things, like the all-in on the freaking live streaming. And then Facebook was like, hey, we're not going to we're not gonna make live work anymore. So, <laughs> and then the... Hey, we're way too burnt out doing this stuff, so screw it. Let's do the podcast. I, I even, um, back in, I guess back in the spring, one of my memories was the, the podcast I did with Jim Pollard about turkey calls and stuff. Dude, you need to get and back I, on that. I rewatched cool. that whole thing just to listen to Jim Pollard again, you know? Yeah, that was freaking cool, man. I, uh, there's so many cool things that... I wish that I was two or three people and had, you know, and this was my full-time gig, dude, the ideas every day that when I drive around, I'm like, dude, this would be awesome. I was like, what the hell am I talking about? I don't have any more time to do anything. <laughs> hey, I know exactly how you feel there. That stretches out into way more than just this kind of stuff, you know? Dude, always. It was like that uh, that text message that I sent you the other day, and people are going to be like, text message? What the hell is he talking about? But that little <laughs> idea that I had, and, dude, that's been in my head for the last, like, eight months. And just, I think we've talked about it before. Yes. Before even then, like, years ago, trying to be able to pull that off. It's just making it happen. It's just... Oh, it, it's an excuse of having no time and it's always like we have no time but then I find myself on the weekend doing something that wasn't worthwhile hey sometimes that's what you do right right anyway brother um hell let's, let's this is the downside to not scripting this thing out um hell let's talk about this little uh, call maker build off from Callapalooza yep I mean you're you freaking won the sucker didn't you Yes, we did. Um, I, I don't see how anybody really was a loser in that deal because did you get that many 
guys that are really, really talented in the same area. Um, it, it was it was weird to me. I don't, I don't consider myself a celebrity or famous or any of that mess, but it was really, really, really weird to me to come out from behind that curtain. First of all, if, if you didn't go down there, you were there, I know, but if people didn't go down there, we went to uh, R&T for Palooza in May. And they had that big uh, get-together where they had two different groups of four call makers get together and make... I think pretty much everybody knows what that is at this point. But we had two groups of four get together and make a call a piece with the woods that John Stevens provided. We used his tools, his shop, everything in the Rich and Tone shop. It was right there. And John's shop... Well, his, his shop for his Jay Stevens line is inside the R&T building, and there's glass, so you can basically watch him turn a call. Like you're a Man, zoo I felt animal. Like a, do what? Like you're a zoo animal. That's exactly what it was. I felt like a monkey in a zoo, man. <laughs> and it, and it, it's, some of it is guys that I know standing there heckling us and, and uh, making some pretty obscene gestures through the glass just to get a kick out of us, you know. Um, and then there were people that were just genuinely interested in watching us work, and that was what I was getting to. It's weird to be in that little environment, be the monkey in the zoo with these people with their faces pressed up to the glass, watching you turn a call, watching you do this. Um, I, I had a kid that was watching every part of what was going on, and then it, when I got ready to jig the call, he was at a window in one spot and as soon as he saw me getting jiggy come flying to the next window right there by the bandsaw so he could watch me jig. it's it's interesting to see people wanting to learn wanting to pick up tidbits of of the craft and all that stuff but it's it's more awkward to me to come out from behind there at one point um john and angie ordered pizza for everybody there and they brought us a pizza in the booth because we were the ones in the booth and i left the booth to go out there to the the bar and get everybody a beer and there were guys when you get out and back there and guys would stop stop you hey man that's really cool what you guys are just just wanting to talk about it i don't do that i'm not that outgoing i'm not that much people person for people to stop me like that it just it's kind of it's cool but it can be uncomfortable when people are like treating me like i'm Something special. I'm not John Stevens. I'm not, you know, well, not Jim Quest. I'm not those guys. Well, I've told you before that you are the most aw shucks call maker that I know. Like, you know, that old aw shucks, don't, you know, don't worry about me type thing. So, I just, I mean, it's a duck call. I ain't got no titles to go with it. I've never won anything, really. Um, on stage or in a call making contest I've never actually won anything I've won a division or two in different things but I've never won anything so it's well I'm not I'm not anybody well number one that's nonsense that you've never won anything like there's a lot of guys that have entered that competition that have never won a division so like you've definitely won and you've definitely earned your chops on that end of it but you know it, it it's very cool though to see that type of stuff you know where you go down there and there's so many people that you know a lot of the guys that we know call makers and different collectors that you introduce yourself to but i can't imagine walking back out to that bar and for people who don't know the rnt shop you have to walk across like the display room the showroom where they sell all the different calls and stuff like that to go over to the bar which what a freaking cool facility dude oh that place is awesome that place is ridiculous <laughs> if they had a kitchen in there that would be the best place to hang out in southeast arkansas without a doubt yeah it's such a wild place and okay so i know josh has complained about it on the podcast what do you think of the lathe height situation well, Josh is eight feet tall, too. You he's know? that much taller. He's, what, 6'2"? Oh, I'm, I'm six foot, and he's four inches taller than I am. Bro, you might have been six foot ten years ago. You're 5'11", 5'10". Uh, uh, well, we're splitting hairs there, and we have 5'12". <laughs> How about that? Will that work? <laughs> yeah, that'll work. That'll do. <laughs> but he, he's three or four inches taller than I am, so it's a lot more of a, uh, an issue for him than it is for me. Yeah, true. Uh, isn't John, John's pretty tall though 
Like when I walk away? No, he's not. No, he's not. John's not a real tall guy. He's not, sh- oh, I mean, not tall, but he's average height. He's probably my height. Yeah. He's 5'12", too. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, those three to four inches, like, you know, it's always weird. Like, when I moved from uh, my house to out here in Nixa, I moved it Ozark to Nixa, I had to rebuild my shop. And I I got a different workbench, and when I put my lathe on it, I was like, this is not right. Like, it was like an inch off from where the And it makes one. a big difference. Holy crap, dude. I kept having catches and freaking stuff like that, and I was like, what in the hell is going on? And I put that arm at the, you know, the right angle to uh, get the, the height of the lathe. I was like, dude, I'm, I'm an inch off. It's freaking crazy. And now it's like you never have a... Well, you always have catches, but... It, it does and make a difference. It, it seems like such a, a crazy little thing. Even your tool rest height. Is, I, I know this from going to like the wheel shop or the Allen shop. Both of those guys keep their tool rest high. My tool rest on my lathe in my shop is all the way down. It's absolutely as low as it can go. I'm the same way, well, man. And I know that's the way you're not supposed to do it. I cut underneath. With a, at an angle. Yeah, yeah. The tool's angle, just a little bit. Of, I do that. That's the only way I've ever done it. And like when we'll come down and mess in the shop, or, or when I went up there and we did the battle made deal, the ones we turned by hand, we were back and forth. Each, every time I turn on the lathe, I had to load the tool rest, and he'd get over there and go, "What the hell are you doing, man?" And move tool rest back up. It was back and forth, both of us. Well, yeah. Then the you know, did you bring? He came to your shop, or you went to his shop? Uh, we've done both. When you go to his shop, do you bring your own tools? Like, I'd feel weird holding somebody else's, like, uh, you know, their carving, their uh, their carbides and stuff. Yeah, his carbide and mine are basically the same. Um, so as far as that goes, I, I I don't take my tools up there now. Depending on what we were doing, I'd take like I would take a jig and some drill bits and stuff. So we had some different options, but. You know, if I go up there, if he comes down here, um, most of the time, whatever we've got in the shops, what we mess with. I've got a metal lathe now, so he doesn't have to. There was a couple of times where he would bring his metal lathe down and we hook it up and play with it. Uh, I've got one in the shop now, so we don't. Neither one of us really brings a whole lot more than a few bits in case you want to try a different reamer or, or a different jig or something like that yeah well it's so weird like to me okay so i don't know if anybody ever goes in your shop but like sometimes i'll be working the night before and then i'll come home the next day and the kids will be messing around obviously my shop is in the garage and a freaking tool will be moved you know a wrench or freaking uh you know the uh jaw key or or the chuck key or something i'm like where in the hell is my you know, you put your stuff down the same spot every time, and when somebody moves it or when somebody quote unquote organizes your stuff, you're like, I knew exactly where that was at. Like, I'm glad that it's organized now, but I knew exactly where it was at. See, my, my organized is usually chaos, <laughs> but I know right where my stuff's at. You know, it's under that pile of sawdust behind the behind the legs on the bench. You just got to move a little stuff. It's right there. I know right where it's at. That's, that's right. I, I know where it's at. I know it looks like a pile of sawdust, but believe me, there's a bit under there, and I use there's it. There's gold under there, son. Just let it be. I know where it's at. I'm good with. Oh hell. Well, before we go, we got off on this uh, this little detour. <laughs> yeah. We went on. Um. So how did you guys? Okay. So. Let, for anybody who doesn't know, what's who was on your team and who was on the other team? So the teams were, um, it, it had originally, well, the plan originally was to be a rematch of last year. Um, Brian Byers, John Kent, Ronnie Turner, and Ron Gould was one team. Last year's team was Alan Whitson, Waylon Thompson, Brad Samples, and Brian Phillips. Um, I know all eight of those guys really well. Some of them better than others. I play golf with Alan all the time. Waylon lives right across the river. Um, I played golf with Kemp. I know everybody from both teams really, really well. Um, Brad had some issues where he wasn't going to be able to make it and Waylon couldn't make it. And the other two didn't want to do it without them. So they, uh, 
they just decided to make a new team. And how I got picked, I don't know. But I got a message from Jeremiah Clusman. If you don't know who Jeremiah Clusman is, I'm going to tell you right now, he may be the most talented carver in the in the call-making world on the face of the earth. I the agree. guy is insane. Gold standard. Absolutely insane when it comes to carving. The stuff he does is mind-blowing. So he ended up being the captain, and I don't know if um, – I didn't ask. I didn't ask him. I actually tried to talk my way out of it at one point, but I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> um, he asked Richard Patterson, who is a gentleman from Montana, um, Will Shelley, and myself to be his teammate, his his team for that deal. Um, Richard is a crazy talented carver as well. Crazy talented carver. Richard is, has got his little niche is his, the dog that he does. Um, and that dog is insane. It is really, really good. Uh, Jeremiah has his leaves. If you've ever seen a call that he does, he's really good with his leaves and putting the oak leaves on everything. He just posted um, one today. Oh, my gosh. It's, it is stupid what yeah. he does. And then Will. Will's gotten into the carving here yeah. lately, too. Will, Will has... Uh, Gone headlong into the decorative stuff. He starts checkering. I've seen him do some carving. The little spiral look that he's got going now that there's people already trying to copy, you know, where he puts the real heart. And I say copy. Uh, inspired by, right? Inspired by. But, you know, it's kind of like Brad's feathers. There were people feathering stuff a long time ago when it kind of faded away. There were people doing the spiral stuff years ago. And Will and I talked about this, and it's kind of faded away. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he saw it or if he was just sitting there looking. And go, dang! I need to do something. He started putting those spirals on those, things, and they look crazy good to me. He does a really, really good job with it. But he was the other one. He's got into the carving stuff, and then there's me. And oh, what the hell they picked me out of that much for? <laughs> I'm no clue because I don't carve. I don't checker. I don't. Scrimshaw. Kluzman uh, is a ridiculous Scrimshaw artist, too. I don't do any of that. And that's what I told them. I said, guys, we've got 10 hours to do this. You guys need to find somebody that can do something that's capable of doing something besides sitting there and being a cheerleader, because that's all I'm going to do. I mean, that's, that's about all I can do. And ended up, really, all I did was turn it, shape, um, I built the, the caps. So the Corian that was that we used for caps, it almost looked like ivory, but it actually was Corian. That was some Corian that Mr. Butch had left over when he passed away that was still in the shop. That survived cool the fire. That? That's super so, cool. Oh, it was, I didn't know that until like the second day we were talking, and John was like, yeah, this is some, some Corian that, that Butch had left. It may, it may have been when he was making the announcements. Uh, of the winning deal was that that was some Corian that had survived the fire that Mr. Butch had left and I was like that makes it all worth it right there I mean it was really cool to be there anyway but to know that I had the opportunity to turn some stuff that, that Mr. Butch had in his shop is awesome really cool stuff yeah that doesn't get any better than that man that's no. that's amazing so Jeremiah called you and you said you tried to get out of it absolutely <laughs> Absolutely, I didn't deserve to be in that bunch of people. I don't. I don't have that. So my my deal was Jeremiah had a dang drawing of what he wanted this call to look like, like an engineer's architecture, whatever you hand drawn image of this call, and it was insane. I couldn't take a dang picture of it and make it look any better than what. And he had it down to scale, to length, everything like he wanted. Um. And he's like, this is what I need. I want this part here and this part here. And that's what we ended up doing. I did the turning as far as shape, sanding, building the pieces that we laminated together, all that stuff. I did all that. And then I cut the, the tone board and tuned the call up. While they were doing the carving and the scrimshaw work and and all of the other things that they did. Make, making the stand. I think we'll actually turn the stand. Um while I was turning something else, but all the other stuff they did all they did all the decorative stuff. 
that's freaking cool, man. It's like, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, now you get to say you joined a very small elite group of call makers, man, that, that, you know, get a chance to do this. That's a, what are they at, 12 now? Because they invited yep. one team back? And in the first year, there was no winner. That's it was a draw. That's right. So we were the first winners of the Callmakers Field Ball. Dude, that's so cool. And I, I talked to um, I talked to Josh Raggio quite a bit beforehand, and he, he was one of those guys that's like, man, this is a, possibly a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You do not need to pass this up. You need to get your butt down there and do it. That's what I'm saying, man. You, you're, it's that classic Michael Meredith, aw shucks type mentality. It's like, bro, you, you know, be damned. Freaking throw whatever thought you have in your head of I don't deserve, somebody else deserves it either. So you freaking take an opportunity when you get it because yeah. who knows if it's going to come back around type thing. And then that's what Josh was saying. So this, is, this, you know, potentially is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and it is incredible. It's, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Um, it's a lot of work being in there for ten hours working working on a call. And like I said, I did a lot of cheering for those guys. You know, getting <laughs> running running and getting them beer or whatever it was they needed. I did a lot of that. But it it was incredible to watch those guys. Like I said, all three of them are just insane when it comes to the carving and stuff. Well, and they split it into two days, don't they? Yeah, so we did, I think the first day we did a two-hour session and a four-hour session. And then the second day we just had a four-hour straight through. And was that mostly like the uh, decorative carving type stuff? Or was he doing, you know, were they doing that the whole time? Oh, they were. So the, the first thing Jeremiah did was cut out a little piece of this maple and carved the duck on it. I don't know if you've seen the, the, the if, I don't have a picture. I'm sure you got a picture and you probably post them up. Um, he carved the, the duck out of a piece of maple while I was drilling a hole and turning the shape of the barrel. Once I got the barrel started and we got the shape like we wanted, I handed that part of the barrel to Richard. Richard started working on his duck. Then we started turning some other stuff. So I would turn a piece and hand it to Jeremiah, and he would start on his scrimshaw work. Or, or um, Richard was doing this. We'll turn the stand out and started carving the stand, the bottom of the stand, so that it had the look on it. Then we were, for the first six or seven hours for sure, everybody was doing something. Um, and then once it started, got down to where it was just the, the final touches. Um, you know, Will was finishing up this part on this on the stand, or he was adding the finishing touches to the insert, the carving he did on the insert. Richard was finishing up his part of the the duck and the carving, or Jeremiah. They, him and Jeremiah were passing that back and forth, where Jeremiah was touching up the feathers, or not the feathers, the leaves. Dude, the leaves are in. I have it up right now. Insane. <laughs> Those guys are just ridiculous. Bro, the leaves are paper thin. Like, and they look like leaves sticking off of a tree. Yes. They are, like, anybody, it, R&T has it listed as a post, and I've seen it before, but I haven't zoomed in as much and, like, done a real deep dive. Dude, some of those leaves are, like, they gotta be a sixteenth of an inch thick. Like, they're... You can... So I've got a video on my phone where once it, once we got the call done, I put it up on the stand and just kind of spun it. And as it turns, you can see the recess up underneath the leaves where he carved up underneath yeah. there. So those leaves look like they're sticking off of a tree. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. And, and I'll tell you this, too. It's something that Ronnie and I had talked about and have talked about on several occasions. I tuned that call as a, it's cut as a mid-19 and I went with a 19 because it's it's I run that tone board and that bore shape with a longer barrel than the other ones and I knew that the longer barrel would make a little bit of a difference I tuned that call off of um, an original barrel that John Stevens had sitting on his 
bitch. I guess that's what he tunes all his stuff with. And I was like, dang, I need a barrel and I don't have one. And I just reached up and grabbed it. That call would absolutely scream with that barrel. I mean, I got it right on the first try. I didn't have to do any sanding. It come off the tone board. First read I cut, it would run. <laughs> absolutely scream. You rip on it a few times and you tell them, all right, fellas, that's it. I'm going on break. You guys do oh, <laughs> finish it up. So there's, a, there's a part in the... Uh, they filmed all of this stuff for RMTV too. Every bit of it. They had cameras, and we had cameras in our face on top of the monkey in the zoo look going on. Um, but there was a point where I was talking to the camera guy, and Ronnie had come in there and heckled us two or three times, of just course. messing with us. Ronnie, and I, y'all, absolutely being Ronnie. And I got that thing tuned up, and the guy's like, "Holy cow, that sounds really good." I said, "Yeah, we ought to go out there in the middle of this uh, because." Those guys, when they got done, went over to the back of the, the shop. And if you've never been there, there's where the bar is. On the back side of the bar, there's a little sitting area where uh, Marvin Ormath has a bunch of his calls on display. And they've got like a little fireplace and just just like a little like a little lounge area. Well, all four of those guys had walked over there and were sitting in that lounge. And I said, man, I think I'm fixing to walk out there in the middle of this deal and just go blowing this thing. And the guy's like, dude, I got my camera. Let's go. So he followed me out there. And I walked over there. And, and if you've ever handed Ronnie Turner a call, the first thing Ronnie's going to do is blow it flat. You know, make it sound awful. Just, just because <laughs> that's what Ronnie does. You know, it's going to go, eh, eh, and it sounds a little flat. And then he'll blow it. So I did the Ronnie Turner, you know. And then I really started getting bullets, and I stuck it. This guy was filming me for this RTV, and everybody in that room, and turned around was watching me. And I did the the flat clack, and I started building up, and I, you know, made it sound like a duck. And I ran back and tried to hit it up on top, and it locked up and squealed on me just as big. I went, "Oh my gosh, this is embarrassing." But I handed it to Ronnie, and he blew the crap out of it. He's like, oh, my gosh, that sounds really good. (laughs) And then we went back. And then we went back, and and the barrel on that call is so dang long, it sounds nothing like what it did when I got it tuned up. I didn't realize. I mean, I, I knew barrel length played a factor. I didn't realize it changed the sound that much. I was so aggravated at how that call sounded when I got it in the barrel that the call actually was going with that it about went crazy. Yeah, see, I've always been under the assumption that barrel length, and like I said, I've been running the same barrel length for freaking five years, that uh, it changes the way that it runs, not the sound as much. I didn't, like, you know, you cut it down, it's going to be a little more aggressive because you're right on top of the freaking reed. Yeah. But I didn't realize that it changed the sound that drastically. I, I don't necessarily think. I think you're right. It changes the way the air hits the reed. Get your butt back out of here, boys. <laughs> like it just comes flying in here acting like they were trying to tear the house down. That's right. That's boys, man. But it, it changes the way the air hits the reed. And it, it absolutely made the call sound different. I couldn't blow it. You could blow it out way too easy. Um... I had to put a ton of voice into it to get it sound right, and you could take it out of that longer barrel and put it back in that barrel, and it would scream again. I was like, man, I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I, I don't know. I was mad. I was aggravated at the whole dang thing. <clears throat> yeah, it sucks because it's almost like, you know, you think about making the tenon longer or something like that and having, you know, more room in between where the actual tone board you know yep. cork notch all the way back to where you you know you're carving and all that stuff and I, we did that too and i shortened the insert the the keg of the insert yeah you know what sticks out of the barrel i shortened that some and turned a longer tenon so that it would push back up in there but the barrel was four inches yeah that's freaking insane and yeah what do you, just, you normally run like a what a two six two five something? Two, two six on my on my short calls my that 19 i run a 285 to you know somewhere around in there yeah it's so, seven ish so a three a three inch barrel so it was an extra inch long um 
and that makes a ton of difference in in the way the air hits the reed. It just it's just different, and it aggravated me to no end. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, time to take the hammer to it, and they're like, I oh, I was I was there because I had ne- I had not put it in a longer barrel. I had tuned it up on that barrel, and I blew the crap out of that thing. Like those guys probably got tired of me blowing us. This thing is muddy. We got everything put together, and we had to let some of that stuff dry. Um, where we glued the the duct that Jeremiah carved in there, and the some of the other stuff we had like the last 15 minutes I was like alright guys I'm going to put this thing together real quick and try it and it didn't sound anything like I wanted and I went oh my gosh what do we do now I, where, where do I go to fix this thing I, I, I don't know I, I don't know <laughs> so, I was panicking and I didn't have a whole lot of time to try to fix it so we were stuck with it <laughs> so are you going to go out and get you a ram power carver now and like absolutely not no no. You're the only call maker not doing it, I think. Well, obviously I'm not doing it, but... Uh, <laughs> but you've carved in the past, though. Yeah, but it looked like hammered dog poop. And I was like, hey, you know what? I know where I'm supposed to be. I knew it wasn't good when I posted up the first attempt. And Brad sent me a message. He's like, hey, man, I'll send you some some tips. And I was like, oh, damn, it's that bad. Like, within, like, two minutes, he's like, I'll send you some tips, man. Don't worry about it. And, and that guy's his goal. He will help you do anything. <laughs> In the world, he can. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those ones, man. That that's everybody is freaking carving. Will went from a freaking first grader carving to a damn master's degree in carving in like three months. Yeah, it was insane. And he's, good, he's good at it. He yes. knows what he's good at, and he he's really good at what he does. It's insane, man. Like uh, just how quick. Like, I've said it for the last 12 months now that I wanted to pick up a checkering set. Not to checker to the length of, like, you know, some really, really in-depth stuff. To get a little surface checkering, like some 1930s, 1940s calls. With just a little tiny checker, simple on the insert or something like that. And I still have, like, I have yet to do it. But then you see other guys that... There's guys that are carving and checkering that haven't been making calls for a year. Yeah, I'm... I've been at it since I got my lathe in December of 2012, I think, and I have no interest still yet in doing any of it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's just another one of those things that it's like I, I have enough hobbies. I don't need I don't need to get into this world because I'm an obsessive and I will get way too deep into it and start neglecting everything else. Yeah, I just. It, it doesn't appeal. I don't have the patience for it. I don't. <laughs> now, I don't. So. Does uh, doing these little uh, competitions and fun type stuff, like, you know, I know we've talked a lot about it in the past, you know, couple of years, really, man. And I went through a time where I got super burnt out call making. And uh, <laughs> we, we talked about it before we started recording. That's why he's laughing. But, uh, I got super burnt out call making and I took, I don't know, a nine month, 12 month hiatus from it. And uh, we've talked about it in the past. Does this type of stuff like stir the juices, you know, and like, because I know that's a, a struggle that you've had in the past too. Honestly, not really. Like, like I, I enjoy, so I, I don't know how many calls I took down there. I made a handful of calls um, and took and sold. I actually put them at uh, Joey's booth at the AF Waterfowl booth, and Joey sold them for me while I was in the call in the call making deal. Um, I enjoyed doing that just because it was something different, and I was, you know, <clears throat> hey, I've got to get this done by a certain time. Um, I really that was that was the only time I've been in the shop. I've not been in the shop since then. That was like the first two weeks of May. Um, so I didn't do anything the entire month of June at all. Yeah, the only time I went in the shop was to make sure that the the freezer in the shop was still working. I've got some some like some deer meat and some stuff out there that I've got in the freezer, and I want to make sure the freezer hadn't gone out. The only time I've been in the shop, um, it is hard for me to to get out in the shop right now. And I know there's a bunch of people that are, and not a bunch. I've actually got my list down to less than. 30 I think I think I've got like 24 people 
that I that are on my book. <clears throat> um, and I know a lot of them are so pissed off at me they could care less if they ever get a call. <laughs> I, it is what it is. But I, I really don't have a whole lot of interest in, in going out there and turning a duck call. Um, it's hard for me to want to go out and shop. It really is. Yeah, man, that it sucks. It's when it becomes work. You know, we've talked about it in the past, and of course, I've talked about it on different podcasts. When it goes from a hobby to work, it can just really beat you down. And uh, I don't know what the hell. What are you doing on that mic over there? Do what? Are you plugging your phone in or something? Yeah, I had I had a, a lady down the street texted me oh i was like it's i was i was supposed to meet with so my neighbor is the mayor and i was supposed to meet with her at some point she was texting me but i'll uh i'll get back to her i was gonna say well dang man you freaking hanging out over here with all these big people get on national tv (laughs) rnt tv and uh hanging out with the mayor like geez hey this is a town of 200 people <laughs> they, they like this is little rock and the, the mayor of little rock is my next door neighbor you don't want to be the mayor of little rock <laughs> no i don't i don't want to be the mayor of <laughs> but anyway you know i w- what i'm saying is when it becomes work and it becomes something that you're obligated to do just like anything else in life when you're yeah. obligated you just don't have that it takes the fun out of it. Yeah. And I know, I know there are guys that have been on my list that hear that and think, oh my God, what a lame excuse. You know? And I can't say that they're wrong if that's the way they feel, you know? I just, I, I, I will, once I do get caught up, I will absolutely do things different going forward. I have kicked around the idea of taking 15 to 20 orders at a time. Um, I've kicked around a bunch of different ideas. I don't, I haven't set for sure of what I'm going to do. And I may take a year off to where I don't do anything unless the notion hits me and I go out there and grab a piece of wood off shelves and go, I'm going to make this call and this call and I'm going to sell them. And if somebody wants to buy them, they can. If somebody, nobody wants to buy them, they can kick rocks. You know, I, I, I don't know, but, um, I the fun in it is completely gone. Has been for a while, and I've just kind of pushed myself through to get to where I'm at. <laughs> well, you know, and that's something that people don't understand. They just see what we're posting. You know, you'll have your customers that you've had for years and years, and they know you, but people don't see it. They just see the pictures yeah. that we post and stuff like that, and that's all that you represent. <laughs> is a call picture and people don't you know it's too easy to become disconnected it's like watching you know baseball or football or something like that and you're like oh this guy is the player for my team it's like well no you're you're a person man you have you have a life you have small kids you're playing you know you're coaching baseball like we have lives and it's not it's like it's that weird line of like where you want to provide customer service but you're like dude like, you know, I'm sorry my kid had two games this week and, you know, we had practice and I'm trying to do different things and, you know, I'm trying to spend time with the family and yeah. it's a weird balancing beam and people, you know, sometimes don't think about, you know, people we're, people are people, you know, like we're people too and, uh, you know, I don't think as many people are, are mad at you. I've never seen a post anything about it, but uh, it it's just something that, people have to have that understanding and realize yep. that you're a human being you know yep completely agree and when you're i can tell you from firsthand experience of my own personal life when i was not happy in my personal life like super i was stressed out about the bills i was stressed out about how i'm going to deal with my kids i got a daycare payment coming up my, i had two kids in daycare at the same time and was trying to work and it was like dude, I, I, I don't have enough money to do this. I'm stressing out. I got a bunch yep. of stuff going on. And I'm trying to, Helen, you know, I was going through a divorce at that time. I was like, everything is going to hell. The last thing I have in my mind is going out there and making a call and trying to give my best when I'm not at my best. And you know, people, you, you don't post that crap more. on social media because it's your business. 
but it's like yeah. people don't understand that because you know everything's so closed up and there's a there's a lot of that stuff that people don't have any idea you know and, and for me it you know duck calls will never be my living there was a time where I wanted that and I pushed to get it to the point where I could do that and some things happened that let me know really quickly that it would never be my my full time job um, I'm going into a whole lot of details there but yeah, people, can read, people can read between lines I was told it would never be my job so you have to, like I pushed, I pushed, I pushed to get it there. And I was right there. And I even had a conversation with Josh about that one day. He's like, dude, just do it. There's no way you can do this. There's no way you can't make living. I talked to two or three people about it. I was like, there's no way you couldn't make this work. And um, it never happened. And it kind of just, it killed my momentum. It killed my interest. It killed your love and, for it, man. It absolutely did. Man, I can tell you that. And it ain't the same. I can tell you that when we were really rolling with BTBN um, back in 17, 18, I was given kind of an, an ultimatum back then. Like, hey, you either readjust what your focus is. And of course, you know, that ended and uh, we moved on from that type of thing. But I, I was kind of given an ultimatum and it killed everything. And. Um, yep. I just didn't have any interest in anything anymore. I was like, well, why yep. the hell did I put all these nights of sleeping two hours and, you know, a yep. lot of effort into this thing? And the legwork, even back then, now granted, it was it was you a whole lot more than it was me, but the legwork of running down um, guests for the show and, 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 you know, writing stories and, and, you know, some of the blogs that we were doing and, and trying to find people that could be content providers for different things. You know, yeah. even just that stuff. And then even if you find somebody that's a content provider like James, when James was still, you know, doing training videos for us and, and writing stuff about getting your dogs going and did a really good job, then we've got to get that stuff to you so that you can post it and you take the time out of your day to do that. You know, that was a whole nother, you know, James did good with his lives when he would, was taking Scout and training with Scout. And Scout's a dang... One pass away from having his grand grand national grand country champion title on, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, even even then, even if somebody else is doing the work, you're still the one over the the, the deal, and you get the final say so, and you've got to approve all that stuff, and that's more work on top of you. So it's it's always something coming back to you, always. Yeah, and you know, it's the same. With, you know, like you were expressing with call making, it's like it, it kills that whole thing. And, you know, it's it's come back around full circle. Like, you know, now I'm 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 pumped about it. I'm excited about it. You know, I let it get a little bit three podcasts a week. Like I was doing last year. Is too damn crazy. <laughs> it was too crazy. You, know, you get one every couple of weeks. Holy. That's plenty good. Yeah, I try for one a week. I uh, I was coming home getting off work getting home at like five or six and then like telling the kids hey be quiet i gotta do a podcast and then getting done at like eight yeah. and then like tucking them in a bed and i was like all right i gotta change this something's not working you know like this isn't sustainable i i've already done this once where it didn't work <laughs> you know yeah. it's time to learn from it but you know it came back around full circle but i can completely relate and everybody's situation is different but i can relate to that feeling and uh yeah. dude it's it sucks, but it's... And people, like I said, that's something people don't realize. Like you said, you put... Oh, gosh, I didn't want to say this. Social media only shows the positives, for the most part. The best lighting, the best, you know, the happy picture, all that. That's, that's what social media is. There's so much more going around, whether it's, you know, can you be a kid getting sick? It could be could be anything that you don't express that people don't know about, and they just go, "Well, this guy's playing golf every day. Why ain't he making calls? Or this guy's doing this? Or this guy's wherever? Why ain't he playing golf? Or why ain't he working on my duck calls? Stuff like that." And I've not had really any anybody complain. Um, 
I'm not having any hate mail. I've had a couple of guys that want to come back around to them and say, hey, man, I'm to your name. They go, no, I'm, I'm good. And I get that. I don't blame them. You know, no hard feelings. If that's what you want to do, man, I, I can't blame you, and I won't, I won't hold it against you. You know? No, absolutely. At that point, it's like a, uh, a learning experience for how you're going to do it different when you come absolutely. back around. But yeah exactly what you said is so true our whole lives on social media are so fake mm-hmm. you only see the good stuff we uh, we do post the fun st- and this type of stuff is the most raw stuff that people get where it's just a conversation but you know you, you got to take the perfect picture. You got to have the right filter on it. You got to have everything yep. perfect. Everything's so branded out. And it's like, you know, I might be taking these awesome pictures and all that type of stuff or making this awesome call or doing something like this, but you don't see the the four hours of sleep that I got, the stumbling yep. through work, the forgetting my damn lunchbox for work today, the, <laughs> you know, the, the stuff that sucks. And, uh, yeah. you know, everything. Hey, hold on just one, hold on just one second. I got to text the mayor back. I was going to say, dude, you're freaking over there in an earthquake. And my, uh, my speaker phone on my phone sucks. It sounds like I'm talking in the dang washtub. So I can't put your speaker phone and talk to you and type to her at the same time. It don't work. You got a freaking jitterbug out there on that. I, I still got my old cricket phone, so from back in the day. <laughs> you let me know when you're ready. Good lord, man. For all the people that are listening, I hope that Oh my gosh. Alright. Sorry about that. You're good, you're good, buddy. Um, so yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things are you just gonna feel it out and kinda or just like slowly work through it or what do you think? Man You haven't thought that much through yet? Uh I gotta get caught up. I've got some blanks with some folks and I've had some of these guys blanks for quite a while. Um I've got a few call maker trades I've got to get done. Um, some of that stuff got to. And then once I get caught up and everything, all my so I've got a shelf in my shop that is blank that people have sent me. I put their names on them, so they're there, and I don't lose them. I don't misplace them. Any of that stuff. Um, once I get done with that, I don't know. I really don't. I'm not going to retire. Um, but I may, I may not turn the call for a while. I can understand that, man. Uh, I'm not getting rid of my stuff. Everything's paid for. You know what I mean? Everything's paid for. I'm a jig. I know my sound. I know all that stuff. I just may not do anything unless it's a contest or just get a while here to go turn the call at some point. Well, yeah, something that's fun, man. Like, you know, something that can uh, get the creative juices flowing only if it's for a day. It's kind of like, you know, I I don't know what the hell I'm going with, but (laughs) anything that you're like, I don't want to own a boat, but going and renting one for the day is pretty damn cool. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing. I've got a boat that I've had for a year that I put in the water three times. So, I mean, I've not even had time to put my boat in the water. Well, there you go. So, anybody else who's listening, he's not out there on the boat all day long. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> oh hell buddy yeah it um it's tough and like i said before we started recording this is something that i think a lot of call makers go through everybody's situation is different but yep. the burnout aspect of dealing with it hopefully it shows collectors other call makers that you know it's not a singular thing. It's. I think, I think everybody goes through it. Now, different people have different levels of what burnout is. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, I I don't, I don't know if you know Andrew Haddon. Yep. Have you ever talked to Andrew? You need to get Andrew on the podcast. Guy's hilarious. But I don't know that he's ever been burnt out. That guy turns calls all the time. All the time. Well, he's a he's always, he calls him right now and he's in the shop drinking beer and turning duck calls. 
Guaranteed. Freaking using his foot-powered lathe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's got. You remember those old grinding mills where they put a mule on them and the mule just walks in circles? Yeah, that's how his lathe is powered. He's got a mule out there just going around. Right <laughs> yeah, he uh, he makes a freaking beast of a call. But yeah, it's weird. Everybody, you know, everybody has their own threshold, and it's amazing to me that people can keep spitting them back out. But Yep. Everybody's gonna hit that burnout wall, and it's uh, everybody has to figure out a way to deal with it. And hopefully, they can listen to this type of thing. And you know, I'm pretty upfront and open with what I went through, and you've been super upfront and open with this thing. Um, you know, hopefully, it's something that people can understand and relate to a little bit. And it, it you. You know, when I was going through it, I felt, like, super embarrassed. It was, like, one of those things. It was, like, I didn't want anything out there. I just... Because you asked me. You're, like, dude, what the hell? And I was, like, oh, I'm just taking... I'm just stepping away for a while. Yeah, at one point, I said, man, just come down. Come down. We'll get in the shop together. You, I've got a lathe. I've got everything. Come down to the shop. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I think I was, like, drinking every single night type situation. <laughs> I was, like, yeah, man, I'm not going anywhere. But, uh... <laughs> It's just, it's it's that grown man stuff that, uh, you know, you're supposed to keep all that crap bottled up. Yep. <laughs> but, Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you got freaking, got to run into you at Call Nuts. I had, uh, Jessica was like, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. And I was like, oh, hell, I haven't even freaking seen freaking MIG yet. I gotta at least say hi to him before I roll Yeah, out, they got, that, that whole weekend was pretty crazy. There was, that was the one, the one, if there is a downside, the one downside about being in that booth is there's so many of you guys that that I know personally, call makers, uh, guys like Chris Hare is a collector. I got to talk to him for five minutes, maybe. The first time I got to meet him, didn't get to talk to him very long. I didn't get to talk to Joey much, hardly at all. And I've you know I've known Joey for forever. Joey's been up here in the in the shop. Uh, I didn't get to talk to Josh, but for just a little bit, um, you know, it's different with Josh not having his, uh, oh gosh, his trailer this year and just having a booth. I didn't get to talk to him. I got to meet a couple of guys. I got to meet John Hessen from Florida. First time I got to meet him, he's bought several calls from me, but there were a lot of people there that I knew were there that had bought calls from me that I was trying to meet that I never just never got to meet up with there were a lot of call makers there that i know that i didn't get to talk to very long and there were some guys there that i thought i recognized but i never got to go up and shake their hand and talk to them very much you know there's so much going on oh, just, yeah. I was in and out back and forth and then trying to trying to do something for myself when i had a little bit of downtime you know we me and me and john kemp and uh Joey D'Amico. No, it wasn't. It was, it was me and Alan and Joey D'Amico and Jason Rode went and played a few holes. We went and played a little bit of golf while we were there between breaks. Um, but it wasn't like we didn't even get 18 in. We just, hey man, we got a couple hours. Let's go play a few holes and then we got to get back. Um, stuff like that. There's just, you, being in there and being in that experience is awesome. But. It's at the expense of getting to hang out with some of the call makers and, and getting to meet folks and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, I uh, I talked to Josh um, when I got there because you know his where his booth was at, and I was like, "Bro, where's the trailer? Like, what are we doing?" And he was like, "Yeah, I you know I had a conversation with him. He's like, dude, I didn't bring that.' He's like, I was so busy the entire time. He's like, I brought it to Real Foot. I brought it to all these different places." He's like, I'm so busy that I don't get to have the interaction. He's like, I don't want to sit there and turn calls the whole freaking day. Like, it, it's a cool experience, but it's one of those things that's like you work yourself to death. And, and he took the weekend um, to try to enjoy the event. Yeah. You know, like he missed all the stuff last year. He missed almost everything because he was in his trailer turning calls. And when we called beforehand, he's like, I'm just, I'm going to come down there. I'm going to make a few calls. I'm going to sell them. I want to be able to enjoy the event and what's going on. And you can't blame him for that at all. Bro, he said you somebody, know? he said people were lining up at like 7 o'clock when the event started at like 11 
to because he posted that he was going to have like 10 calls or something like that and people were lining up yeah how insane is that yeah that's crazy stuff man that's so cool yeah and even even when he's got the trailer there like for for us to go in there me and and Alan or Ronnie or who whoever to go in there he can't mess around with us and talk with us and joke with us like he can at a booth because he's trying to concentrate on what he's doing as a, with the call and for the customer and the customer getting the full experience of everything that he's got going on you know it's a it's a it's a lot well and there's nothing worse than somebody standing over your shoulder watching you turn <laughs> bro like you just did it at the biggest stage but like for my own my buddy Justin has gotten hardcore into photography this year and he's like he's coming over tomorrow too he's been coming over like one day a week and he's like I want to I want to shoot and film and all that type of stuff and it's like which I don't mind it he's got tons of great content like I've been posting crazy crap and you know he's been doing a bunch of stuff but while I'm turning I'm like it's just in that space you just feel like somebody's sitting there watching you it's it's so awkward yep especially the way I do things I'm freaking you know I'm like hey man uh, you know I'll be turning a barrel you know rounding it down and uh, you know getting it closer to being sized and I'm like hey man don't film this and he's like why (laughs) And I was like, I don't have a freaking tail stock on right now because I'm just rounding it down and I don't Yeah, care. people don't need to see this. This is, a, this is a great way of how not to do things. Yes, exactly. I'm like, I'm literally just rounding it down. I don't have a tail stock and people will tear me up for not having a freaking tail stock on there. See, and, and one thing that I think is hilarious, when I'm turning stuff on my lathe, I've always got the tail stock in. But I'll, like, rounding out a blank, like you're talking about, I put my tailstock in, and I'll knock the corners off of it. And then I'll take that piece of wood for a barrel, and I run all my barrels on a duplicator. I've never tried to hide it. It's, it's, I get, I can't turn the same shape on my barrel without a duplicator. I don't care what anybody says, that's the way I do it, and I don't have to worry about it. But I don't have a tailstock on my duplicator. <laughs> Does it cause vibration issues on it? Absolutely not. Yeah, I was going to say. I've never had any trouble with it. Never had any trouble with it. Now, as far as, like, uh, hand turning, dude, uh, I used to, when I very first started, I'd be like, I don't know why I keep getting these little chips in acrylic. I can't figure it out. And somebody's like, put your tailstock in, stupid. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Oh, now, acrylic will blow up on you if you ain't careful. Bro, I don't know if we've done a podcast since... You, we did the uh, the call maker little head to head nonsense. Yeah. But you told me. Uh, well, of course, it's it's no secret. Ronnie Turner does not like acrylic. You're like, if you say acrylic, Ronnie will not do it. And to his freaking point, he freaking t- said he turned four different freaking calls or attempts and then, and then quit. Yes, and then quit. But he gave it all he got. He kept sending me pictures of shit just blown up to hell. And he's like, I'm surprised he went that far with it, to be honest with you. I did. He, he really, I think it was a pride thing. But I was like, I just don't get it, dude. I don't get what you're doing that's causing it to blow up. Yeah. I was like, who am I to give freaking Ronnie Turner any kind of advice on turning anything but I was like I just, it doesn't make any sense to me man I don't understand why you're blown up everything looks good yeah but uh yeah it was it was funny he was so pissed I posted that it was gonna be acrylic he's like I'm out fellas have a good one and everybody I told like, you I told you <laughs> everybody was like really I was like well I'm not gonna announce publicly that you're officially out in case you change your mind a couple weeks from now and he came back a couple days later he's like alright fellas I'm gonna give it a try <laughs> I knew I knew it I called it I, I mean I didn't even figure he would give it a go but I didn't I was not shocked that it didn't work out for him just because Hey man, you uh, you don't mess around with crap that you don't like. That's for damn sure. I hate absolutely. I hate turning absolutely. acrylic. I hate turning. There's just some things I do not like doing, and uh, you get to a point where you just don't do what you don't want to do, and that's where you're gonna get to once you get everything settled down. 
You're going to do whatever the hell you want and do the Ernie Ross method. Lay it and forget it. That's right. <laughs> I like it. Well, buddy, it sounds like you got a meeting with the mayor. It's pretty late. We talked for 45 minutes before we started this thing, so I will let you get off here for the night. And, uh, man, I appreciate it. Anytime, brother. Anytime you want to do this again, let me know, and we'll push record when we first start talking so we catch all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, no joke. And uh, we'll figure out a way to make that other thing happen, man. I'll have to do it I'm before down. you sign I'm down. Off. There. There's a, there's a place between here and there that would be perfect for that so we could all meet up and not have everybody drive as far. I like that. You can get two episodes in at once. That's exactly right. <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, I hope you have a good night, man. All right, brother. Sounds good. We'll talk to you later. Take care, bub. Bye. Mr. Michael Meredith, Mid Custom Calls. Freaking crazy good call maker. Been, uh one of my good 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 buddies for hell since i started this thing um yeah just a really in-depth conversation a a look at some of the the things that people don't think about call making it's some of it's pretty tough man so uh you know it's just uh something to think about for you guys anyway if you're still listening Make sure you hit that subscribe button, follow, whatever it is now. I don't know what the proper vernacular for that type of stuff is. But uh, hit that, leave us a review. You want to get a paperweight of a duck call, check out Unstable Calls or any of the other great call makers that we've had on here. See you.